You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Turn in your copy of God's Word to John 1, verse 1. John 1, 1. As we begin this, uh, this uh, new series and uh, in this Christmas season, John is the fourth gospel in your New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John right there. And uh, as we begin to, the, the, to get into this gospel, it recounts the life of Jesus. And uh, if you're familiar with the other gospels, what are commonly known as the synoptic gospels, as they see things really together, the other gospels primarily highlight the details about Jesus' birth. You have the genealogies showing the lineage in which uh, uh, Jesus comes from, the family tree. It highlights the details of where they uh, were and uh, Bethlehem and, and uh, who was there and who uh, announced his birth and who witnessed uh, this baby being born. The uh, other gospels uh, that were form, uh, proven out in the details of all of these things, that this indeed was the long-awaited Messiah, whom those prophets all throughout the Old Testament that God used to give us glimpses, to give us a taste, to give us a bit of the details all along the way, and now he had arrived. But John, uh, in this writing, as we'll see in this text, but also all along the way, takes a very different approach. Many of the stories and the situations, the scenarios in, in John are unique only to John. He's the only one who records it for he is leading us somewhere. He is writing oftentimes not in chronological order of the events, but in such a way to, uh, to show us who Jesus is and what he had come to do. And this is especially true in the opening lines of John as he makes this announcement about who Jesus is and why he came. And it's this unique way of writing that we celebrate here, the significance of Christmas that we celebrate every, every uh, Christmas holiday and on every December 25th. And I think this is what all of us need to recapture this year, is really the significance of what Christmas is all about. Beyond all the gifts and trees and the lights and candy canes and Santa and reindeer, there has to be more to all the effort and activity that accompany this holiday. Who is this Jesus and why did he come? What makes his birth more significant than yours or mine? I was born on December 26th, so why isn't there a worldwide celebration with lots of traditions and festivities in my name? No, no, please no. Well, the significance isn't about the day nor the decor. For Jesus likely wasn't born on December 25th. It's just the day that we've traditionally chose to focus in and to hone on this uh, earth-shattering truth of the incarnate God becoming man and coming down to earth. And so let's come to our Bibles. Let's read John's opening lines for us and let our minds be captured once again with the significance of Christmas. Follow along in your Bibles as I read John 1, 1 through 13. They say this. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is God's word for God's people. And here, church, I believe is the significance of Christmas as John, by the Spirit, is writing to us in these verses. We could summarize it this way. Write it down in your notes. It's there at the top. It's here on the screen. But Jesus is God, born to show us God and save us from the darkness. If we were to recapture what this holiday is all about, about who Jesus is and why he came, why he left heaven's throne, what is simply this, that he is God, born to show us who God is and what God is like and to save us from the darkness. Now, maybe you read that and think about that and you're like, all right, pastor, that's pretty simple. We got that. That's uh, how, why is that significant? And yet, as we ponder on it this morning, as we look closely at the verses here, I think we will see just how profound it is. For in these verses here, what John is doing is setting the stage uh, for the rest of the book with, with these themes that he will come back to repeatedly over the next 21 chapters. He's setting the stage for us by, uh, by leading us somewhere, but also by taking us backwards to uh, Genesis, to the account of how, all that we know, how it all came into existence. This world as we know it, there's echoes here of Genesis in it. In order to grasp the significance of Christmas, we must first grasp the significance of creation. And so what John is doing is to look somewhere. He is moving us to look to Christ and to see that Jesus is the word. If you're taking notes, that's the first point from these opening verses here is we are to look that Jesus is the word. He guides our attention here. The first four verses really commandeer our vision backward towards uh, really towards God, who through these simple verses, uh, many weighty claims are made about who Jesus is without whatever once mentioning him by name. He's taking us backwards uh, to think on creation and using this, uh, this uh, word, uh, the, uh, or calling him the word in many different ways. And so what do words do? Just think on this for a second. What is the significance of Jesus being referred to as the word? Well, what do words do? Words reveal character. 
how a man or woman speaks shows you the type of person that they are as they speak in an honorable and dignified way shows the type of uh, a man or woman of integrity that they might be or if they speak on the other side and they're crass or perverse or undignified it shows you the type of person that they are words reveal character words also reveal the truth it reveals information it is how we uh, uh, push forward facts and information they can also be used to spread misinformation and falsehood and lies about things but words whether communicated orally or in written fashion they reveal truth they reveal character they reveal certain things and this is certainly true about God but as we examine verse 1 a little bit closer, it, 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 I think we find something even more profound, even greater here. For in the beginning was this word. The word has been around eternally, was there at creation, eternally existent. The tense of the, uh, the verb here was is in an imperfect tense, which implies a continuous action. So you would rightly translate verse 1 here. In the beginning was continually the word. And the word was continually with God, and the word was continually God. He was there, eternally existent, but also in the second of the triplet here, he was with God. This word has been eternally in relationship with God, not as a, just a mere bystander at creation, but a member of the triune Godhead creating and speaking all things into existence. Why? Because he was continually God. I think as you are familiar with your Bible, you can begin to see the echoes or to hear rather the echoes of Genesis 1. Keep your finger in John 1 and let's actually go back there uh, for a moment just to Genesis 1 so you can see it. Genesis, first book in our Bible, the opening lines. How does Genesis start? In the beginning, God. And what is God's first activity what is it? In the beginning, God created. See, he was there creating. His word has this creative power. It goes on then in verse 3, as, the, uh, as the, the earth is without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep in verse 2. And the second activity of God and God spoke. He said, let there be light. And there was light. And he saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. See, God's word has this creative power. He speaks and then there is light. Everything in existence. On and on he goes through the days or is summarized back in, in John uh, verse 3. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I practice that a lot this week because it's like a tongue twister, right? See, everything in existence, all that we can see, all that we can touch, all that we can smell and hear and experience in this life, in this human existence is from him. Nothing has come from some other source, including us. Including us. See, God breathed. He spoke. Come back to Genesis in chapter 2. As, he, uh, as uh, Moses here writing this hones in uh, closer on the creation of humanity in chapter 2. Genesis 2 verse 7. And the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. 
or as John, as you come back over here, as John would say in verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, it includes us. His word, his breath gives life. In him was brought he breathed into us. Jesus in coming was not just any mere human. No one breathed life into him, but the other way around you and I exist because the word exists and gave us life. Reminding us is, is commandeering our vision to look to Christ and why he came. Why did he come? To give us life. Physical life at our at our birth, as he you know, so to speak, breathes life as we are uh, fearfully and wonderfully made in the womb of our mothers, as we were intricately woven together. He gave us this life, and as John will go on, he will we will begin to see that he also gives us spiritual life at our rebirth, when we are born again to come to faith in Christ. He's making these claims that Jesus was there. This God, the second person of the Trinity, was there at the beginning and is the source of life. He is the word. And I understand that these may be weighty claims. Weighty claims that must be substantiated. We can make assertions all day. Anybody can write things about people like this, but they must be accompanied by witnesses, by proof in order to have any sort of validity. And this is what John will do through the rest of his gospel as he shows over and over again the trustworthiness of who uh, or what Jesus said and the authority of his words and of his actions to save us. But it is in this, uh, in this assertion that he is making where he interjects now in these verses, in verses 6 to 8, to a witness. Where he moves us to look to Christ, but secondly, to listen. For John is a witness. Write that down, to, to listen. For John is a witness. In verses 6 to 8, like I said, he, he just kind of inserts this, uh, this witness here. He'll talk more about him in, in coming chapters to, so we can really fully grasp why he also is a credible witness. But here, uh, nonetheless, is there's a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, uh, note this. This is not John who wrote the book, who it's named after. The book is named after John uh, who is one of Jesus' disciples, the apostle, uh, who will meet along the way. But he's referring to uh, who's commonly known as John the Baptist. Not because he was like the founder of a Baptist denomination or anything like that. You know, where, no. Um, uh, now people have taken to, uh, to avoid the, or the confusion that might exist there. They call him John the Baptizer. Is maybe a, a, a better title for him. And not much is said about him in these verses, but really he's just setting the stage to show that first John was sent specifically by God on a specific mission with a specific message. That, that Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere, but he had, there was a forerunner. There was a messenger here on a specific message to say, listen to Jesus. He is the light. John the Baptist's whole life had a singular purpose, a singular message to say, listen to Jesus. He is the light. He is the lamb. And John was constantly throughout his ministry diverting attention away from himself and back onto Jesus. For his whole life, John's witness validates Jesus' message. 
all throughout his life, everything that he was saying was validating, was upholding, was proof to the trustworthiness and truthfulness of Jesus' message and the claim that he is God born to save us. And let me just acknowledge uh, something here uh, as we go. This is John is, 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 is uh, here to bear witness, to validate the message of Jesus. And, and let me just acknowledge there are those whose witness tarnishes Jesus' message. There, there are many counterfeit witnesses out there. Those who, uh, who proclaim a false gospel, a false truth about who, uh, who Jesus is, denying that he is God, denying that he is human, or denying uh, uh, certain fundamental things about his virgin birth, or, or making uh, additions to the gospel and claiming a, a health or a wealth that God uh, promises those who would believe. There are many counterfeit witnesses. Those who would abuse the, the platform or to take a platform and, and say things like God told me without any sort of substance or, or basis in the word of God. And in those moments, unlike John the Baptist's witness, they are stealing the light, stealing the platform onto themselves or onto a false doctrine that, is, that, that does not bear witness to the Lord. The true messengers like John bear witness to the light. They, they, they bear witness to the impact and the truthfulness of who Christ is. And if this is part of your experience, if you've uh, uh, been in situations like this or uh, followed those like this, I, I, I'm sorry. Sorry for the hurt, for the swindling. You know, we live in a broken world. The Bible is full of examples of messengers like this who use the word of God, the things of God, the church of God for shameful gain. There are also hurtful witnesses, not just counterfeit witnesses. For the church is full of all of us who are still in battling the, the, uh, the, the temptation that exists. We are still here in these sin-corrupted bodies in this broken world and trying to live in relationship with one another in this uncommon community. And as we are in progress, our sin hurts others. And it stings, and it's no fun. But thankfully, God has given us a way forward to reconcile. For our faith is not in other people. Our faith is not in the, uh, in the community. Our faith is in Christ. And this is a part of the process. It's part of our growth together. Uh, and, and even in these, uh, these moments of hurt, in the moments of brokenness, as we, uh, as we repent and believe and as we ask for forgiveness, uh, uh, the message of the gospel is magnified. Because on the bright side, there, there are those whose life does magnify Jesus. Uh, there are those whose, whose life is pointing to uh, God and, and, to, and to Christ who are bearing witness and, and, and are pointing others to believe, not in them, but through them as a conduit saying, look to Christ. And so let me just ask the question this morning. If you trust Christ today, how is your life magnifying Christ? Especially this Christmas. In a time where it is so easy to be distracted, to get so caught up in all the, the lights and decorations, is my life magnifying the light of Christ this Christmas? Can others see Christ through me or does my life obscure the light of Christ? Am I pointing others' attention to the significance of Christmas 
that Jesus is God, born to show us God and save us from the darkness? Or am I pointing others' attention to the sentimentality of the holiday? Am I taking every opportunity to invite others to believe? Am I bearing witness to the things of the Lord? See, this is what John is getting us to wrestle with in the opening verses, to look to Christ, to listen to the witness, but also to come now and believe. It moves us here in, the, in, in this next section to believe that Jesus is indeed the light of the world. He'll come back to this metaphor. John makes the claim here uh, that Jesus is the overcoming light. He is the true light. And later, Jesus will make this claim about himself. But he's drafting now off the imagery of creation where God first speaks light into existence. Where in that moment when the, uh, when the earth and it was dark and void, where darkness was everywhere, light invaded, light overcame as God spoke it into existence. It overcame the darkness. And now he calls him in verse 9, the true light. A light that by God's common grace gives light to all of us in one sense so we can physically see. A light, the, the light of the sun, that flaming ball of fire that illumines our world. And as his gospel is proclaimed, that is available to all, that Jesus is the light, a light that shone in the darkness. And now as you begin to ponder on what, this, what he's getting at here, first in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, the darkness is not overcome it. And in verse 9, he comes back, the true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You begin to think about the biblical imagery of light and darkness all throughout it, and through it you see this metaphor for Christ. Christ as a light shining into the many usages of darkness as we, uh, as we think about it and the darkness in the scriptures. Just write this down here, uh, or you can take a picture of it when we think of darkness as it's used. First, we have a spatial darkness, the physical darkness that exists. That we're talking about at creation and that we experience every night as, uh, as our side of the earth turns its back to the, to the sun and we are in darkness. Christ is the creator. He is the one who created light. He is the one who controls the heavens and holds it all in his hands. He is the one who sustains it and spoke it into existence. He is the light over creation, the light over spatial darkness. But he is also the light in spiritual darkness. Using this imagery of those who are unsaved, those who have not yet repented and believed are walking. The Bible uses terminology like groping about in the darkness, unable to see. Christ comes to rescue and to save, to open their eyes, to see the light of the gospel. Christ is the spiritual light in this sense. He is your saving light. He is the light in spiritual darkness that brings us to salvation. But not only this, there are times where we are in the dark about our sin. 
Or maybe we are saved but blind. We cannot see the sin in our own life. God is working on us. The Spirit is working on us in this where where maybe we are hardened to it or we can't see it as of yet. And God's Spirit in His mercy opens our eyes, shines the light to see where we are yet needing to be sanctified. Where we yet need to submit to the Lord in this and saying no to our sin and yes to the things of God as we repent and believe. In those moments, it is Christ who is your light. But there is situational darkness that Christ is the light of. Those moments where we don't know what to do. Where we are asking God for what is your will? Should I take this job? Should, uh, how should I talk to this person? What is your will? What does it say in the Psalms? Psalm 119, that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. See, Christ, his word is our light in the situational darkness where we don't know how to proceed, where we don't know how to walk in righteousness. But he is also the light in our sorrowful darkness. In the moments of grief when we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death and the mountains and cliffs tower beside us, blocking out the light of the goodness of God. Where it seems as there's only dark clouds over our life in the moments of despair, the moments of sorrow, the moments of grief. And it is in those moments of sorrowful darkness that Christ, who is the true light, takes us by the hand, sympathizing with us in our sorrow and leads us in the way that is everlasting. See, in every situation, where you find yourself today, no matter where you are at in your spiritual journey, as you are pursuing the Lord or he is pursuing you to save you, Christ is the answer, the solution, the light in every situation. Do you believe that redemption? Do you believe that? Why did Jesus come to deliver us from the darkness in all of its nuances, in all of its forms? And as we will see through this journey, uh, through the book of John, there are really only two options. As we are confronted with who Christ is and why he came, that he is God. He came to show us God and to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us from the darkness of our sin. There are only two responses. The references here during his earthly life, he came to his own. Who were his own? His Jewish uh, uh, lineage. That's why the genealogies are so important showing who he came from, the Jewish people. They didn't know him as the reject, or as his creator, nor as their Messiah. And he came and they rejected his claims and rebuffed his witnesses. And yet in the way that only God can do, his rejection led to his exaltation. Psalm 118 uh, references for us, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And in the brilliance of God, 
and under his sovereign hand and his wise ways that are beyond our comprehension, his way to exaltation, his way uh, would be through rejection. And so you can reject or receive him. Others received him. Look what it says. But to all who did receive him, did not reject him, but received him, brought him near, accepted his claims, believed in his name. What's significant about his name? That's a whole study in itself about the names of the second person of the Trinity. But just take the common name, which we know him as Jesus. A name that many boys of that day were named by their parents. A common name. And yet, what is so significant about the name of Jesus? Well, it means, very simply, Jehovah is salvation. Or Jehovah saves. And by believing in his name that God saves sinners, he gave the right to become children of God, his name is unlike any other name. Sure, our names may have some, uh, some family significance or maybe even be a biblical reference, but not an eternal significance like the name of Jesus. For Jesus is our salvation, our salvation from what? From sin, from ourselves, from the brokenness of this world and the wrath of God as the just consequence for our sin and rebellion against God and failure to live up to his standards. And his name carries a weight and worth far beyond the name of our reputation or the name or reputation of any bank or celebrity or business or guru for it is found in Christ salvation from God the right to become his children a name unlike any others listen to this quote here I just want to read it it's from by Charles Spurgeon he was a British preacher of the 1800s on just the name of Jesus listen to this he says Jesus it is the name which moves the harps of heaven to melody. Jesus, the life of all our joys. If there be one name more charming, more precious than another, it is this name. It is woven into the very warp and woof of our psalmody. Many of our songs begin with it and scarcely any that are any good for anything end without it. It is the sum total of all our delights. It is the music with which the bells of heaven ring, a song and a word, an ocean for comprehension, although a drop for brevity, a matchless oratorio in two syllables, a gathering up of all the hallelujahs of eternity in five letters. Jesus, end quote. And so when we acknowledge who we are, sinners, helpless, hopeless, and who Christ is, the Savior, the light, the world, our rescuer, then we become God's children. God is our Father, and we his sons and daughters. Not because of blood, not because of that we are from the right family or from the right lineage or of Jewish ethnicity, nor because of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, not through our hard works or our great desires to achieve it. There is nothing that we could do, but it was all because of same God that created us, the same God that spoke the world into his existence, the same God who sent his son, the word, the light of the world to save us. And this leads us to again ask the question, do I believe? 
This is the question about Christmas, not where are we going for the holidays, what food are we going to make, what gift are we going to buy. The most significant question of this season every year is, do I believe that Jesus is the eternal God, my creator, the light at creation, my salvation? This question of belief is the starting place of the, of the gospel and will lead us in every story all throughout John to ask that simple question, do I believe? It's John's whole purpose for writing this narrative. He tells us at the end, I'll just give you like the, 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 the spoiler, at the very end of John in John 20, 30, 31, he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. John's like, how can, you, how can you write about all that Jesus did? He says, but these are written, what he included in this uh, gospel, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose. An invitation to come and believe. In redemption, it is the significance of Christmas. Beyond the sumptuous meals and the festive family time that all of us are uh, uh, looking forward to and likely to enjoy over the coming days and weeks, Jesus came to show us the eternal creativity of God. Jesus came to show us the truthfulness of God. Jesus came to show us the beautiful relatability within the Godhead and the triune God there and between God and man. He came to shine the light of the gospel into this broken, corrupted world. Jesus came to shine the gospel light into our dark hearts, no matter what darkness we find ourselves in. This, church, this is the significance of Christmas. This is Christ. Do you believe? Let's pray and ask God's help. heaven here we are before you acknowledging the claims of these verses these claims that were made about who you are and who Christ is and why he came Lord, I would just ask even now that you would do your work in our hearts. Cause us to believe. Cause us to see, Lord, to see Christ anew this Christmas. Confess it's easy to be distracted, to get caught up in the lists, the list of things to do, the list of, of gifts to buy, the list of places to go. God, would we be caught up again in the glory of Christ? But Lord, we need you to do that. For those who right now are, are, are wrestling with these claims, examining their own life, would you, by your spirit, God, would you in your kindness lead them to repentance? say I believe I reject you no further 
I reject your witnesses no more. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, those you've put in my life. But most of all, thank you for Christ. Who came on a rescue mission. To save us. To shine this light. That we might see differently. Help us to see differently. To listen differently. To believe differently to believe towards salvation sanctifying us God step by step along the way help us in that God for those who are in the darkness of sorrow or the darkness of, uh, of confusion or stalled out wondering which way to go tempted and tried battling against sin Christ would you shine the light would you show the way forward the way forward in godliness and righteousness Lord would you help us all this Christmas to behold anew to behold to stop and think deeply upon, to stop and savor, to behold anew the reality that you, God, came to save us. We believe it and we worship you because of it. And so we do that now, God. Sing and we worship, we adore you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.